can always tell when it's the holiday weekend, can't you? That's quite a few folk, new folk visiting us and folk who are usually here who aren't. But it's good to be together to worship God. And our call to worship this morning is going to be from Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent her servants and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. I guess as we near the general election, understanding is something that we are all seeking in one way or another as we make those final choices. So it's good to have that in our minds as we gather this morning. All our prayers that I'm leading this morning are taken from gathering for worship. And after our prayer of approach, we will join together in the words of the Lord's Prayer in whichever version and we know and in whichever is our own first languages. So let's come to God in prayer together. Let's pray. Glory to you, almighty God. You spoke, and light came out of the darkness. Order rose from confusion. You breathed into the dust of the earth, and we were formed in your image. You looked on the work of your hands and declared that it was all good. And still you speak. Breathe life and look for us. We praise you. Glory to you, Jesus Christ. You met us as a refugee, a threatened child, the word made flesh born in a forgotten place. You called us by name to leave what was comfortable, to be your disciples, companions and friends. You saved us by kneeling at our feet, stretching your arms wide to take away our sins, walking through death to life again. And still you meet, call and save us. We praise you. Glory to you, Holy Spirit. You brooded over chaos, mothering and shaping God's new creation. You inspired prophets and evangelists to discover the right word for the right season. You liberated the early church for mission, claiming all of life for the Lord of all. And still you brood over, inspire and liberate us. We praise you. We praise you, our triune God, and we join with countless other believers throughout the ages as we pray for your kingdom of peace, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our day's bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Those who were here last week will recall that we used two videos 
on the themes of truth and justice that were um, produced by the Joint Public Issues Team, which is a mixture of Church of Scotland, Baptist, Methodist and United Reformed thinkers who, who look at all sorts of issues in the public domain and try to resource the church to help us to think about it. Theoretically, this would have been done over four weeks, but because I chose to have two Sundays off, we've squished it into two weeks. The way it's going to work is we will watch a video, and then we will hear some Bible readings, and then there'll be some music for you to reflect yourselves, and then we'll repeat that, and then I will do a short reflection. On your seats, you should find, hopefully, um, a copy of two prayers on a large sheet of white paper. The end of each video clip um, has these prayers appear on screen, and as we did last week, we'll, we'll use those, reading them aloud together. What we found last week is that actually we read a bit slower than the people who produce the videos think you do, so um, the video will probably lose the words before we've finished reading it, so the bit of paper is really useful. Also, there are postcards with this week's questions and thoughts on peace and well-being. I have to confess I was a teeny bit disappointed when I went home last week because I seemed to get nearly half of them back. Please do take the postcards away with you and use them to help you think and pray in the last few days leading up to the election. So I'll just do my little bit of juggling and hopefully the first of our videos will appear. I mean, I don't know a great deal, like, about the war in the Middle East, but obviously a lot of it's concerning, like, oil and stuff. I don't necessarily think the best way to go about all this is violence. I do think we have a responsibility as a country to step in. Um, as an ally, we need to try and create peace as best as possible. Um, I feel probably it's time to uh, retract forces from there, as the threat doesn't seem to be uh, there much longer, I wouldn't say. I think that the war just needs to stop because a lot of people are dying and it's really, really affecting the kids out there. I don't think we should be spending a lot of money um, on weapons of mass destruction. I think um, we need to be striving for peace and that. But I think they need the weapons to protect themselves. I certainly think they deserve to have those special equipment and weapons there. Um, for the protection of themselves, definitely, yeah. I don't think putting resources into weapons is the best use of our money. A hundred years ago, our nations were embroiled in a world war. It was war on a scale that had never previously been witnessed. So much so that to this day, we still reel at the destruction and slaughter that it entailed. Some said that this was to be the war to end all wars. But sadly, history has proved this not to be the case. As Christians, we'll have a variety of views about when it is and is not appropriate to use military intervention. We'll not always agree about the means by which our government should seek to protect our shores. But there are some realities that we can recognise together. 
Whenever there is military conflict, lives are destroyed, communities uprooted, and it is nearly always the weakest and most vulnerable who suffer the most. Money spent on weapons and military intervention is money that might otherwise be invested in health and well-being of local communities. Money that particularly has the potential to help the poorest and most disadvantaged. The words of Jesus recognise that peace is not simply an absence of conflict, but something that needs to be actively sought and pursued. And peacemaking is more than a matter of demilitarisation. It requires us to ask questions about the inequalities, instability, misinformation and long-standing divisions that give rise to international conflict. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah spoke of a day when people once at war with each other shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This vision of God's kingdom is not one where weapons are confiscated or mothballed, but where communities willingly abandon them because they feel safe and secure with one another where nations engage with one another in an attitude of peace, trust and harmony. Peace lies at the very heart of the Christian message. When Jesus was born, angels declared his coming as one that could bring peace and goodwill to all. As an adult, he was known as the Prince of Peace. Before he died, he declared to his disciples, My peace I leave with you. We need political leaders who are committed to being peacemakers to work to make our world safe, secure and just for all. To create that environment described by the prophet as one where swords can truly be beaten into plowshares. As the election campaign gathers momentum, whatever our political opinion, as Christian people we can work to place peace on the agenda. How can the UK best support peace in the Middle East and other places of conflict and unrest? What policies do you have to pursue this? What is your party's policy in relation to Trident and working for a world free of nuclear weapons? Do you believe that the 25 billion Trident renewal programme is necessary and justified? And what can people do to be peacemakers in our own country today? The prophet Isaiah and the writers of the New Testament recognise the centrality of peace in God's coming kingdom. We can act as followers of the Prince of Peace by seeking to ensure that the cause of peace and goodwill for all is not overlooked in our political debates and in the way in which we use our right to vote.
and to work with all people of goodwill to build and sustain peace throughout our world. Particularly, we pray for those whose decisions and political ambition affect the cause of peace. Grant them wisdom and courage to do what is right through Jesus Christ, whose peace transcends our human comprehension. Amen. Micah writes, In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised up above the hills. Peoples shall stream to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and shall arbitrate between strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall all sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. The Gospels record many things Jesus said about peace some of which seem contradictory. He said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. But he also said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. On another occasion, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, 
What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And right at the end of his ministry, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not let them be afraid. deserves to benefit because everybody in society is born into the same world. Everybody in society should have the same opportunities. We should look for common good in society because that's the way that society works with people relying on each other and helping each other. In that way we'll have less of killing and you know basically just be there for one another. Although people do come from different cultures, ethnicities, different backgrounds, um, it's just so important that everyone gets that, you know, good start in life. It's better that if everyone is just equal in the society, that you can, you know, wake up in the morning and then you've got your daily bread. This election, it would really affect me with my um, tuition fees. Particularly... Employment schemes, maybe graduate employment schemes, helping uh, young people when they finish university, looking for jobs to get work. Um, Hopefully there'll be uh, jobs and the schools will be better education. I'm in one of the literally hundreds of food banks that now exist in our churches. They remind us of the inequality of our society, but also speak of our desire to be generous. One of the key messages that emerges from our scriptures is that our God is a generous God. The Psalms speak vividly of a world that reflects his rich and open-handed care for creation. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the cattle and plants for people to use to bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the human heart, oil to make the face shine and bread to strengthen the human heart. When we speak in today's world about well-being, it is often reduced to simply seeking personal wealth and gain. And if we're honest, many of the political narratives that we absorb are aimed at this aspect of our human nature. This is what's in it for you, We are the party to serve your interests. Christians should recognise that this is not the kind of foundation to build on. Zechariah the prophet spoke of God's kingdom being established and imagined a world where the elderly and young, those who were perhaps the most vulnerable, shared in the prosperity. The quality of our shared life is not measured by the achievements of the most successful, but how the weakest fare and are cared for. When writing to the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul could not have been more uncompromising. Do not seek your own advantage, but that of others. 
It is this commitment to the common good that underpins our vision for love your neighbour, think, pray, vote. God's vision of prosperity is not economic success for a few, but the well-being of all. We live in a society where success and status are all too often associated with personal accumulated wealth. But this is not how God sees things. Wealth is something to be shared. It is to be seen as his gift to society as a whole, not something to be hoarded by a few. Well-being is not measured in financial terms alone, but ensuring we have a wholesome, healthy and secure society for all. We need political leaders who will make this a priority. And as Christians, we might ask candidates and canvassers how they will seek to bring this about. What would you do to address the growing inequalities in our society between rich and poor? How will you seek to build cohesion and a sense of shared community within our society? What do you think that a government should be doing to ensure a good quality of life for all in our society? Promise prosperity to a nation that walks in your ways. Help us to recognise that true prosperity is not that which is gained at the expense of others, but the mark of a society where the greatest and the least can flourish, where well-being is recognised as more than mere economic gain, where success is measured not simply by the accomplishments of a few but the value and opportunity that is afforded to all, where those who are strong see their task as defending the weak, where those who have not are only concerned for those who have not. Grant that vision of your world to all who have power and responsibility within it, for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. Right at the start of the Hebrew scriptures, the worth of every human being is expressed. God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The Torah expects the well-being of the most vulnerable to be attended to, as this example shows. You shall rise before the aged and defer to the old and you shall fear your God I am the Lord when an alien resides with you in your land you shall not oppress the alien the alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you you shall love the alien as yourself for you were aliens in the land of Egypt I am the Lord your God. Among the best loved words of Jesus are these from John's Gospel. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus reminded his followers of the central commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The letters sent to the early churches speak of seeking the well-being of all and not simply looking after number one. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, said, All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Do not seek your own advantage, but that of others. And to the church in Philippi, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And when writing to the church in Rome, he gave this sober note of caution. So then, each of us will be accountable to God. Every human being bears the image and likeness of God. And therefore, every human being is of equal intrinsic worth. It doesn't come any more inclusive or any more radical than that. Not just those like us, those with whom we agree, those who will vote the way we vote, but those who are different, those with whom we disagree, and even those whom we might define as evil or criminal or depraved. Everyone bears God's image and everyone, given the appropriate environment, has the potential and opportunity to experience what Jesus refers to as life in abundance. A measure not of the quantity of life, but rather the quality of life. Sadly, real life is very different from that. Violence, intolerance, greed and selfishness despoil the whole created order. As the hymn writers say, that image of God in us is marred, dishonoured, disobeyed. The prophet Micah offers a vision of a kingdom so attractive that people of all nations want to be part of it. And it is a wonderful vision, it really is. But we have to be a little bit careful that it doesn't fuel our nascent nationalism, that we, what we aspire to, we equate with its realisation as a kind of utopian version of the, the geographical nation-state with which we identify ourselves. This isn't a vision of a perfect Scotland or a perfect Lithuania or a perfect Nigeria. This is a vision for all people of all places. And it's eschatological in nature. It has a global or universal expectation. It doesn't relate to a literal physical place to which people come flocking, wanting to be part. Rather, it is an imagination of the attractive, inclusive, welcoming kingdom of God's shalom. Well, that's all quite nice. 
But then we come to the New Testament and the words that Jesus speaks, and, well, they are, quite frankly, confusing and sometimes apparently contradictory. It starts off so nicely, really, doesn't it? The peacemakers will be known as God's children. Well, that sounds all right. And then, just a few verses later, we discover that that means praying for those very people who might wish us harm. So it's not an easy choice, this being a peacemaker, being a child of God. And then, if that wasn't enough, is the real shocker. I hope you were all listening when Anne was reading it for us. Jesus said, well, actually, I haven't come to bring peace. I'm going to cause rifts in families. How on earth do we hold those together? Peacemakers as the children of God, praying for those who oppose you. Oh, and by the way, I've come to mess your family life up. The commentators see that there are two time frames at work here. There is this long-term eschatological, I shouldn't use big words, I can't say them, long-term perspective, the vision that provides the hope and gives us a direction of travel, that vision of the kingdom of Shalom. And then there is the messy reality, the damaged, disordered world and the reality of human sin and finitude. Not everybody is going to grasp that vision. Not everybody is going to agree with that vision. And sadly, it is the case that those who are closest to us, our family and our friends, might totally disagree with us. And that disagreement might, if we're really unlucky, lead to rejection or ejection. And I guess there may be people in our fellowship today who have known rejection by family and friends because of the truths to which they hold. It's not easy in the here and now. It's a long view and a messy reality on the way. To seek a world in which the intrinsic value of everyone, even those who oppose us, is important is a tall order. To pray for those who might wish us ill, to wish them blessing, can seem impossible. And yet this is what Jesus said to his followers. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Oh, and and by the way, you might get rejected along the way. Jesus isn't promising peace in our time, or peace for our time, apparently, was what was actually said. Rather, Jesus calls us to embrace the goal of peace. And that seems a good thing. And then the Apostle Paul uh, decides in his own unique way to tell us that we are accountable to God for our choices and our actions. We're not to make value judgments about other people. Rather, we should reflect on our own attitudes and actions. Everything is permissible, he concedes, but it doesn't mean it's a good idea. I wonder, whose well-being is affected by my freedom to do what I choose? When I go to the supermarket and choose which brand of coffee, when I decide whether to recycle or not, 
when I decide what I'm going to do with the money I have left over at the end of the month? How does that affect other people? If we believe in this global kingdom of God's shalom, if we believe in this vision of peace and well-being for all, it has to find expression in the cakes we bake. And so we come back to where we started, reminded that recognizing the image of God in others means we can't put our own desire and ambition first. Because we're no more valuable and no more entitled than any of them are. And that has to leave us with big questions. When we start to think about such complicated issues as education, as healthcare, as immigration and asylum seekers, about defence policies and about taxation... It demands that what we want for our children and our relatives, we seek for our neighbours. Here within the wider UK, in Europe and beyond to the whole of the world. I don't think we will all always agree on how the best way is to achieve that, because we're human. But surely, surely we should agree that this principle of thinking about the good of others, the well-being of all, fits with our longed-for kingdom of God's shalom. On Thursday, those of us who are eligible will cast our votes. All the thinking and all the praying comes down to a cross on a piece of paper. I don't know about you, But for me, that feels like a huge responsibility. Potentially overwhelming. Because the decision I make affects other people. And so I think we need to come back to some words of encouragement that Jesus gave to his friends. Right at the end of his life. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give you peace the way the world gives it. Peace given to us by Jesus. A sense that ultimately, if not in the here and now, all will be well. Because ultimately, love will triumph. The prayers of intercession today are taken from the Wild Goose Worship Group's We Worship book. And include a response. The response to Lord hear us is Lord graciously hear us. Let us pray. Holy God, though this world depends on your grace, it is governed and tended by mortals. So we pray for those who walk the corridors of power in the parliaments of this and other lands, whose judgments we value or fear. May they always consider those they represent, make decisions with courage and integrity, and resist any temptation to abuse the trust placed in them. Lord, hear us. Lord, graciously hear us.
We pray for those who hold key positions in the worlds of finance, business and industry, whose decisions may profit some or impoverish many. May they always value people higher than profit. May they never impose burdens on the poor, which they would not carry themselves. And may they never divorce money from morality or ownership from stewardship. Lord, hear us. Lord, graciously hear us. We pray for those in the caring professions who look after and listen to kind, cruel and cantankerous folk and for those who make decisions regarding the nation's health and welfare. May they always sense the sanctity of life and every person's uniqueness. May they help and heal by their interest as well as their skill. And may they be saved from tiredness and an excess of demands. Lord, hear us. Lord, graciously hear us. Lord, today we pray for the people of Nepal who have lost their lives in the earthquake and for their families left behind to grieve. May you bring comfort and strength to all who are affected. May our hearts and those of our governments be moved to give generously so that urgent needs may be met without delay. Lord, hear us. Lord, graciously hear us. Lord, hear our prayers. And if today we might be the means by which you answer the prayers of others, then may you find us neither deaf nor defiant, but keen to fulfil your purpose. For Jesus' sake. Amen. We go now. And as we go, we recall this. In grace, we were created. In mercy, we have been sustained. And in love, we will be held forever. Thank you.